spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 144th Annual Subliminal Deception Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory. Bullshit, my name is Cody. I'm joined by my pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Uh, not doing too bad. I have finally cleaned up the probably two inches of solid ice in my driveway, so that that's fun. I uh, finally got about 30 degrees, and after a 40-pound bag of ice, I have defeated the ice. Nice. Yeah, so uh, I'm guessing you don't miss ice. No, not at all. It uh, it rained today, so it was pretty chilly all you know throughout the day. But it it kind of quit raining after about two o'clock. So it is it is pretty cloudy and shitty outside right now. But well, yeah, it's you, been pretty decent out. It must be pretty cold because from the from what I heard you just say before I hit record was, uh, you you're rocking the FDR look. Oh yeah, yeah. I got a <laughs> I got a blanket over me. So. Pretty much, I'm coming to the end of using the heat in my apartment, so um, I haven't really had to turn it on because the temperature stays around like 71, so. That's not so bad. Yeah. The only problem is the floor is absolutely freezing, so. Yeah, that'll do it. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. You gotta wear, you gotta get comfy uh, slippers like I have. Yeah, I got those. I usually wear them um, like when I'm cleaning, but not really right now. But actually, to start today off, I kind of wanted to get into a little bit. It's hot off the presses right now as we're, we're recording, but it's going to probably become a little bit of an old news by the time this comes out on Friday. So I don't know if you've heard about this, but Prince Andrew from Britain has actually, according to like a lot of the reports I've seen, come to an agreement with the woman who was accusing him of basically sexual assault. Uh, while she was a teenager, uh, have you heard about this? Yeah, yeah, they uh, they connected him quite a while ago, right? Yes, yeah. Apparently, she was able to bring a lawsuit against him because one of the laws in New York, the Child's Victim Act, was created to basically get rid of the statute of limitations. So I'm not exactly sure. They don't have the actual, you know, settlement numbers. Probably no one's really ever going to figure that one out, but. I guess all of the newspapers over in England are saying that it's like anywhere between 10 to 12 million pounds, somewhere in that area, they're thinking. Okay. Um, I mean, good for her. It doesn't really erase the trauma. You know what I mean? No. Yeah. And it's the crazy thing is his lawyers have been just, you know, slandering her name all over the place. Also, just a few weeks ago, apparently he was saying that he wanted to have a, a trial by jury uh, in order to prove his innocence. But now he kind of went back on that as the trial was, you know, kind of looming. He decided, I guess, him and his lawyers to just settle. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's I guess that's good for that girl. Um, yeah, I, I don't know a lot about it, but, uh, 
it's a it's good to have slight justice i guess you know um i i don't doubt a lot of uh wealthy and powerful people you know don't partake in such activities as that well yeah the weird thing is so he keeps claiming that he's never met her he's never met her and then there's like i guess the most famous picture is with him the girl at the time and Ghislaine Maxwell, like kind of in the same picture with each other. So he kind of claimed up and down that he had never met her, but then this picture came out. So, yeah, that's kind of damning. Yeah. One of the big questions, I guess, is they're wondering how he's going to pay for it because he was cut off by the rest of the royal family. And considering, you know, the royal family are pretty much just a bunch of grifters who live off of the British government, he probably doesn't really have a lot of money of his own. So they're Wait. wondering like where this money's going to come from uh, for him to like the payoff. When so. when did they cut him off? They cut him off. Oh, it was um it was sometime last year. I remember it was big in the story that it was like a really big story that the queen had decided to finally cut ties with him. Kind of like take away his royal titles and duties and all that. So. Okay. Uh speaking, you know, obviously I don't follow the royal family that closely, but um I had heard that what is it queen elizabeth um is allowing who i can't remember who uh who is supposed to be the next king in line prince charles yeah so his i think it's his wife she's like allowing her to take her spot or something like she's grooming her to take her spot before she's dead or something oh to take to take the spot as the queen yeah pretty much yeah Okay, well, yeah, so uh, Prince Aunt, Prince Charles would be the monarch in that situation, and then she would probably have the same responsibilities as the now-deceased Prince Philip had, which is basically just kind of like, um, you know, like only queen in title, or princess in title. Um, Camilla is his current wife. Uh, okay, and I also saw something like she, that lady, didn't want to be have the same title as Princess Diana out of respect or something. So she's excluding some title from her name. Oh, I don't know um, if that's the Princess of Wales title. I've yeah. not exactly, I've never heard that before. Yeah. But. Oh, this is like within the last month. Um, I don't know. The Queen's probably knows she doesn't have a whole lot left, uh, but it is what it is, I guess. So I guess a royal family uh, kind of going through a lot of turmoil right now. Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of a weird thing. It seems like one of those times when, like, the anti-monarchy sentiment would be rising, considering, you know, there's all this shit coming out about them. They always have to be worried about the British people just kind of deciding, we don't need these people anymore. Like, stop giving them money, you know, the welfare. Like, quit that right. shit, so. Uh, last question before we get in the episode here is... So Prince Andrew, is that uh, Elizabeth's son? Yes. Yeah, that's her second son, I believe. Okay. All right. I uh, Yeah, I'm not that good on the royal family, but that's who I assumed. Because I don't think Diana's kids are shitheads as far as I know. No, I don't know them personally, but... I mean, yeah, they, they, they don't seem like it. Yeah. Well, from the sounds of it, this was... Pretty much like the most shitheaded one of the bunch. So okay, all right. Uh okay. Well, I guess maybe I don't know. 
Uh, good for that girl. Uh, Prince Andrew is obviously a creep. Uh, there's no denying that, right? Yeah. Well, she's all grown up now, so it's yeah. It, that uh, the accusa- the accusations are from quite a while ago, right? So. But if you're in a picture with you, the victim, and uh, fucking Ghislaine Maxwell, it's not Ren- not a great look. Renowned sex trafficker, yeah. Ghislaine Maxwell. Yeah, yeah, it's not a great yeah. look. Um, so I definitely believe that girl. Uh, anyway, Phil, are you ready for this week's episode? Yes. This week, we are going to be talking about a subject that, oddly enough, has been neglected by our show, even though it is one of the mainstays as far as Mysterious Places is concerned. But thanks to a dear fan of ours by the name of Joshua, he offered up a brilliant suggestion and kind of uh, made a light bulb go off of my head. The place I am referring to is none other than the Bermuda Triangle, uh, more specifically, the event that we're going to be talking about that happened in the Bermuda Triangle is Flight 19. Now, I feel like we have talked about this off the air before. Like, there's so much in the Bermuda Triangle, and we've never really talked about it. Yeah, we have. Um, we've talked about it, obviously, like off air quite a bit. I do believe we've talked about the Bermuda Triangle a little bit. There was some, like basically a squadron of training pilots like took some planes out and got lost in the Bermuda Bermuda Triangle. So I do believe we talked about that for a little bit, but that was pretty much it. Yeah, uh, I don't believe it's this case that I'm going to be talking about, but I'm pretty sure when it comes to flying and Bermuda Triangle, most of the time it involves somebody getting very lost, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Either, you know, planes getting lost, boats getting lost, uh, or just flat out disappearing from sight, you know, so, or we, off off the radar. We did talk about, I think it was the uh, SS Juanita, where it was the boat that disappeared around uh, Asia. What did you call it? The Dragon's the, Triangle. The Dragon's Triangle. Yeah. yeah, we did talk about that too. So yeah. I believe I I believe during that I mentioned the Bermuda Triangle and Probably. that flight, those flights. So, all right. Now, the infamous event that would come to be known as Flight 19, by all accounts, should have been nothing more than just a standard training exercise. Moreover, this exact same training path uh, they are about to embark on was literally just completed by Flight 18 that same day. Now, the particular exercise that they were doing was known as Quote, navigation problem number one. (laughs) Not sure why they named it that. Uh, And it included simulating a bombing run, which took them along the eastern coast of Florida, then over a place known as Hens Hens and Chickens Shoals, uh, which is a coral reef. And they would drop practice bombs and then continue flying to Grand Bahama Island, then finishing the flight by heading back to Fort Lauderdale. Um, I'm going to talk. Have you ever heard of this hens and chickens shoals? No, I haven't. Okay, so this is really interesting, and I'm not going to go too much into it, but I want you to keep it in the back of your mind. So when when I were they say um, the fans can't see it, but you see the little picture where it says B. Yes. Okay, so that is allegedly 
the hens and chickens shoals, right? But if you Google this, it takes you down to the Florida Keys. So I don't oh, know. Okay. I don't, maybe the whole coral reef stretch or the the reef stretches that far. I don't really know. Um, never seen coral really in real life. Have you? Yeah. So when I visited Guam, the mm. island is surrounded by coral reefs. So is it really? Is it? Did you like snorkel or anything? No, we never did that. Um, some of the people that we went with didn't. Uh, did they uh, they didn't scuba dive. They just did the like the snorkel thing, kind of where you just go down. It's not very deep, so you can just kind of have like the. The really eat like really simple to use snorkel equipment to go down there and see it. They said it was pretty cool, but it's uh, it's it surrounds the island and it's kind of really cool to look at. Um, you know, it apparently if you go out too far and you step on it, it could cut the fuck out of your foot. So you got to be really careful out there. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I've always heard. Coral, uh, very sharp. Um, I was gonna say though, hens and chickens shoal off of Florida. I in my mind I was thinking that must be like a bar where <laughs> you know you meet like some Florida chicks and their moms come with them obviously yeah so one of those situations. Here's the other thing you can tell this was named by Florida because um, I don't think hens or chickens can survive out that deep <laughs> into the ocean. Uh, maybe they believed that they could. I don't know. Uh, it's just a very weird way to name a coral reef system yeah it's a it's an odd name for anything really hens are chickens so i don't understand that one <laughs> i don't know maybe hens and cocks would have been better but uh... <laughs> hens and cock shoals <laughs> yeah yeah see i would have liked that but uh anyway now the person who would be leading this exercise was lieutenant charles K- carol taylor a very experienced pilot who had logged in over 2,500 flying hours, which included a combat tour in the Pacific Theater, and add to the fact that he had mostly flown the exact plane he is about to fly today. When we get into the nitty-gritty of the episode, um, it kind of makes even less sense what happened to them. Uh, Accompanying him on the training exercise were trainee pilots, who all had individually about 300 flying hours. So again, overall, a fairly competent group of pilots. Now, uh, Lieutenant Taylor, right? It didn't say what like battle he was in, but he was in some flying battle in the Pacific Theater. Is it just me, or does that sound like one of the scariest like battles you can be in? Um. Yeah, I mean... Not really. Well, so early on in the war, yes. Like early on in the Pacific theater, I would definitely not want to be flying around out there, Um, especially considering the Japanese had so much like better planes than so much better technology than we had. Uh, Pretty much by the end of the war, we had air and sea dominance, though. So it's one of those deals where towards the end of the war, we were taking them down in bunches. Also, Beginning of the war, they had ex- super like highly experienced pilots, but they kind of just threw them at the enemy and didn't really train in their new guys. So they kind of just took their raw recruits and threw them at the enemy too. So by the end of the war, you were mostly fighting against inexperienced people. One thing I wanted to say though, 
tried and true method. If you want your son to be like a super successful, you know, gung ho, like a lieutenant, you know, pilot, give him a female middle name because that is one sure way to give him a fucking, you know, a little, uh, little psych, little psyche break where he <laughs> needs to overachieve. So call him Carol. Yeah, pretty good job. What, there. Interesting, Phil. Old timey. Uh, that was kind of a unisex name, though. Now, really? yeah, remember, <laughs> uh, I guess this is kind of proving your point, but one of the first episodes of Bumblebutt I ever did was uh, about serial killer Carol Edward Cole. Um, but I guess, yeah, that's kind of leaning into what you just said. Yeah, he was either going to become a World War II pilot or a serial killer with the name <laughs> Carol. So I, the word I was co- trying to come up with before was complex. I just couldn't fucking find it in my brain. That's you give him right. a complex. <laughs> I I mean, to be fair, by all accounts, this guy is a nice guy. I guess I didn't say too much about him, but uh, yeah, he's a he's a war veteran, that's for sure. Now, uh, the exercise known as navigation problem number one all began at the Naval Air Station in Fort Lauderdale. It was approximately 2.10 p.m. on December 5th, 1945, when Lieutenant Charles Taylor, along with four other planes, departed. The planes that they were flying in were General Motors Eastern Aircraft Division TBM Avenger Torpedo Bombers. Uh, Altogether with the five planes, there would be a total of 14 crew members. So it's a a healthy amount. It sounded like there's three-ish in each plane. Um, I gotta say, Phil... Didn't realize that GM made aircrafts. So with General Motors, you got to remember at the time, the entire nation, including like the, you know, factories and mass production all went to the war effort. So those aircraft might have been made. Parts of them might have made been made at toaster factories, you know, old refrigerator factories. And then the planes put together at like car factories. So, you know, Uh, or truck factories. Uh, not to sound too stupid here, but what day in 1945 did they drop the bombs on uh, on uh, Hiroshima? I believe it was. I believe it was in August. I don't okay. know. I don't remember the exact, but it was it like late summer okay. that they dropped the bombs. That yeah, so. that that sounds right. Um, I just thought it was interesting. They're still. I mean, I guess they're always doing practice bombing runs, but. Uh, Obviously, the war had kind of slowed down at this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, really, at that point, it was getting to the time when we were going to have a constant, you know, America had geared up so much with their military. Everyone kind of knew that we were going to have just a, you know, like a constant military presence like that we had never had before. Also, they were really worried about the Ruskies, too. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, are you listening to the MK Ultra episodes of Last pa- Podcast on the Left? Yes, I just listened to the second part. Yikes. Okay, yeah, you they were quite afraid of the Russians. Oh, yeah. Well, with those people though, it was just an excuse to, you know, make sarin gas and do that kind of shit. So, <laughs> Very use true. then uh, you know, obviously psychedelics, so. Right, right. Now, after the planes took off at 2:10 p.m., it only took them roughly about 20 minutes to reach the hens and chicken shoals. At about 2.30 p.m., 
they would go on to drop their practice bombs completely without incident and started to make their way to the next leg of the journey. Now, this is where things started to get a little weird. We aren't certain exactly how much time had passed between them dropping the plastic bombs and when they started to hear this radio chatter. But uh, it came across the, uh, the radio here that Lieutenant Taylor became convinced that his compass was malfunctioning and that his flight had been flying in the completely wrong direction. This was... Now, these accounts, we have to remember, are taken from not the people involved in the flight, but like radio towers that heard them or like other aircrafts in the area. So it was almost like out of the blue that Lieutenant Taylor started talking amongst his flight saying like, my compass isn't working and I think we're going in the completely wrong direction. This is just like completely out of left field. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's so strange because it's not like they were out in the middle of the ocean at night where they, you know, were trying to like the sun was out, you know, it's right. The sun was out. They should have been able to see like where the sun was. So it's kind of odd. I mean, even if his, you know, compass was malfunctioning, but. And we'll kind of learn a little bit more about the compasses on these planes um, when we kind of try to get to the explanations. But I don't know, December 5th, uh, Florida around this area, you know, obviously it's southern Florida. Um, I don't know what time the sun would no longer be visible. I would assume it wouldn't be at three or four in the afternoon. Uh, I would assume it would at least be visible till five, six, seven o'clock. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Well, obviously, you know, up in Minnesota, it goes down a um, during, you know, December months, but maybe, yeah, it, I mean, it might have been starting to go down. So that could have been it. So, and if there wasn't very good weather, they might not have been able to see the stars if they were out by that time. But very true. Yeah. Uh, the shortest day of the year in Minnesota, I think it gets dark at like 4 15 p.m. or something like that. Yeah. That, that's kind of a depressing time period. Where you wake up, it's pitch black, sun doesn't come up till 8, and then uh, it gets dark at 4 o'clock. It's not fun. Yeah, when I spent, uh, well, I spent an extra month more than I should have in Iceland. But we had actually, we left finally in mid-December. And by the time, you would basically not see the sun until like 10 o'clock, and then it would start going down around 2. Yeah. So, yeah, it was pretty fucking bad. It's, it just like makes you depressed. It's it's kind of weird. Yeah, I wish I really wish we would have went in the summer. That would have been great. Just uh, you know, all of that white out. But you know, <laughs> whatever. Didn't have my choice. So now <clears throat> the problem. Now uh, the problems were exacerbated for the flight when uh, the front brought in heavy cloud cover, uh, heavy winds, and it began to rain. One of the pilots in the flight was heard saying, quote, I don't know where we are. We must have gotten lost after the last turn. A man by the name of Lieutenant Robert F. Cox, who is a flight instructor himself and was flying in the area, overheard this radio, ch- uh, radio chatter and contacted the air station, uh, asking them to give the flight some assistance. They then contacted Lieutenant Taylor and 
asking if he needed some help. And in an almost distressed voice, he told them, quote, both my compasses are out and I'm trying to find Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I'm over land, but it's broken. I'm sure I'm in the Keys, but I don't know how far down. Now, this doesn't really make sense because the Florida Keys were a couple hundred miles due uh, what would be southwest from where they are. So for him to have been supposed to be in the Bahamas and now he's magically over the Florida Keys uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense how that would have happened. Yeah, he must think that he is extremely lost yeah. if he's gone off course and gone all the way down to the Keys. That's uh, and he's a you, like he's in a very experienced pilot too. Yeah, so it's he must have been like somewhat disoriented too. I don't know. Maybe he had to pee and he just <laughs> you know was starting to get the jitters or something. But he wants it's to get, fucking it's crazy. He wants to get home and watch a, a Rays game. Um, so. <laughs> If you guys can't see the map, but Phil can see it, like basically their flight path of where they should be is almost directly east, like a straight line east from Fort Lauderdale. And for him to get to the Keys, he would have had to purposely go directly south. You know what I mean? Yeah, he would have had to go um, very far off course. (laughs) So he would have... I mean, if he would have, you know, done the the flight plan perfectly, he probably would have landed by this time in his mind. Yeah. If he's thinking how far off course he is. Right. Now, the flight's practice bombing drop had taken place less than an hour earlier. And by all accounts, they should have been somewhere about, you know, north of Grand Bahama Island. But Taylor was convinced like we said, that they were hundreds of miles away in the Keys. Now, Lieutenant Taylor was convinced that at this point, he was somewhere within the Gulf of Mexico. He would order the flight to start traveling to the northeast, which would have taken them even further out into the open sea. After the decision had been made um, to change course, more radio chatter was picked up from another pl- pilot in their flight uh, that was overheard saying, damn it, if we would just fly west, we would get home. So, okay. Now, if he is in the Keys, right, and he yep. wants to fly northeast, I believe they might still even hit like the bottom tip, like almost like where Miami is, wouldn't they have? Yeah, that's it sounds like that's what he's going for. He's going for like the bottom of the, you know, the bottom of Florida, basically. He's trying to at least just find some land. Yeah. Just, you know, well, at least said, to get his bearings and figure out where the fuck he is, probably. He says he can see land in that first recording, but it's land okay. that he doesn't recognize. Yeah, it's kind of crazy because you said it was only like less than an hour after the bombing run. Yeah that he claimed that he was hundreds of miles away in the Florida Keys. So it it's almost like he had like a like misconception of time. Yeah. Like he, he had thought that he was in the air for much longer because if he was supposed to go from on this map that I'm looking at, if he was supposed to go from B to 2, that's a very short distance compared to how far away the Florida Keys would have been if they yeah. got turned around. Yeah. Like that's... Many times, that's like that's like four times longer 
than the, the distance between B and two that it is from B to the Florida Keys. So it from what I was gathering, the like overall flight path they're supposed to take probably would have taken uh, like two to three hours because they they kind of do. Um, I don't know what shape you'd call this, like a weird rectangle. Um, but but yeah, it shouldn't have should not have take gotten as lost as they did, honestly. Yeah, it's close to a right triangle. It's not quite, but I mean, for all purposes, it might as well be a tri- right triangle. Right. But it's a really easy flight path. It's just straight east. You go up north, and then you just turn around and go home. Yeah, so. and, and like we said, the flight 18 had literally just did this. Now, I don't know if the number meant that the number of flights were doing this exact same route, but we do know... Flight 18 had just completed it basically when they took off. Flight 19 took off. Yeah. So, so it was probably just training sorties that yeah. were going one after the other. Yeah. That's so what it, it sounded like. Yeah. Pretty. I mean, it sounds like this is just kind of, this is easy. Not, I mean, obviously not a pilot, so I don't know about easy and hard, but it sounds like this is kind of just a standard flight path that they take like regularly. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, it, he is he's basically just training the other four pilots or whoever's flying in the other planes it's more or less his job so how he got this lost i don't know yet but uh we'll we'll try to figure it out uh as time progressed taylor was eventually convinced to change course and all of the planes began to head west like that whoever that pilot was asked him to do but around 6 p.m. Lieutenant Taylor decided that West, no, that's just still the wrong direction. And he was overheard on the radio saying, quote, we didn't go far enough east. We may as well just turn around and go east again. Now, it is believed, not proven at this point, one of the planes had actually disobeyed Lieutenant Taylor and decided that he wasn't going to follow the flight (laughs) east anymore. As time progressed, fuel in the planes began to run low, and Lieutenant Taylor could be heard telling his men to prepare for a potential crash landing. He said, quote, All planes close up tight. We'll have to ditch unless landfall. When the first plane drops below 10 gallons, we all go down together. Now, within minutes of them hearing that transmission, from that point on, there was nothing but like an eerie static that came over their airwaves. And that's the last time they ever heard from any member of this flight. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I mean, obviously, you know, a military man, a pilot isn't supposed to like disobey an order like at all. But you've got to have such little faith in that man at this point that you're like, fuck you. I'm going west. I'm not <laughs> I'm not taking a swim. You know, that's, yeah. this is crazy. I'm just yeah. going to go home. And obviously, Lieutenant Taylor must have thought they were south of Florida and needed to go northeast in order to go west and find the bottom tip of Florida. It's just crazy because, I mean, obviously on a map, it looks closer, but the Bahamas and Florida and the Keys in, in, in mainland Florida, they're like not that far from each other. So it's it's weird they're getting this lost. Does that does that make sense? 
Yeah, if I was the other pilot, um, I would definitely, the one who said, let's just go west and go home. Basically, he's probably thinking, we're just somewhere east of the coast of Florida. If we just go west, we'll find Florida, we'll figure out some place to land, and then we'll land. You know, you got to be thinking, that's what I'm going to be going through my head if I was in that situation. Well, from the sounds of it, they went east pretty far. And I'm guessing from the time, time if it was 6 p.m., uh, they must have been heading west after Taylor agreed to at least an hour. Yeah, I mean, well, they were in flight, what, four hours. Yeah. So I can definitely see how they were running low on fuel. Um, yeah. It's, yeah, it's just insane that they, you know, I mean, the United States, the, he's in the Navy, correct? He's yeah. He's a Navy pilot. Yeah. So United States Navy had just spent the last you know, few years fighting against the Japanese in the Pacific, finding their way all out in the open ocean, you know, and he can't even find his way like east of Florida back home. It's a little, it's, it's pretty strange. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. And then that's the other weird thing. The last transmission comes through. uh, He says this, you know, pretty ominous thing he says. And then, just not not a single word after that. They're just just silence. Is nothing but static. So you would assume somebody would have been like, "Hey, I'm at ten gallons," or something. But it's just like nothing was ever said again. It's just very yeah, strange. It, I don't know. It's it's kind of creepy. Like almost like they were all going through some kind of like hysteria too. Yeah. Just yeah. I yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. Well. We have a few explanations. We'll try to try to get through them, but it's uh this is a very strange event. I'm guessing that's why Joshua recommended it because it's so weird. Uh, but uh, last little bit of information here. Um, at around 7:30 p.m., the Navy would send out two PBM Mariner flying boats uh, that were located near Fort Lauderdale to go search for the missing Flight 19. To make things even weirder, within just 20 minutes of departing, one of the PBM Mariner flying boats, which was following uh, Flight 19's path, just completely disappeared. Neither the flying boat nor any of the 13 crew members would ever be found. Now, while this isn't confirmed... It is believed that, uh, tragically, the Mariner flying boat uh, that went missing had simply caught fire and blew up. Apparently, these planes had a nickname that was Flying Gas Tanks. (laughs) (laughs) And additionally, there were witnesses who did see a huge fireball and there was like oil slick on uh, on the ocean. But they didn't find any wreckage or any of the bodies, so... It, again, it's very strange. A rescue plane who's going out to look for Flight 19 then disappears itself. Yeah. I mean, if it has the nickname Flying Gas Tanks, yeah. if it's just basically a Molotov cocktail with wings, <laughs> then I could definitely see how, like, yeah, we lost that one. But, you know, if we send three of them up, one of them's not coming home. It's one of those situations. Yeah. God, why um, would you even get on that plane if it had that nickname? Yeah, I mean, back then it was cowboy shit with yeah. airplanes too. You got to remember that it was not it was not like 
the extremely, you know, well-coordinated with computers and navigation, all that. I mean, they had just barely had uh, radar at that time. So probably the airports around uh, in that Florida area probably didn't even have radar yet. So true. true. It would have been a pretty new thing. They should make uh, the new Top Gun movie, but they're all flying around these PBM Mariner flying boats. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be badass. Yeah, they're all just like in retirement. Yeah. It's uh, it's a very overweight Iceman. It's uh, Tom Cruise who's still trying to hang with the young guys. That'd be great. They basically have a job just flying these around. <laughs> and uh, and uh, they just randomly blow up for no reason. <laughs> they're basically out there just taking tourists around like the Florida Keys and shit. <laughs> but they still play Danger Zone as if they're like, you know, fighting all you, the migs and stuff. You know damn well people would pay a lot of money if they could have a pli- private flight with either Tom Cruise or Val Kilmer. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's Well, I mean, Val Kilmer, they might pay a little bit less than with Tom Cruise, but yeah, he, you know, he, he he's had, still got a name. He hasn't aged quite as gracefully. No, yeah, definitely not. He was great in MacGruber, though. Very true. Underrated movie. I love that movie. Definitely. Um, now, the following day, the Navy would dispatch more than 300 boats and aircrafts to search for any remnant of Flight 19. Over the next five days, they would cover an area of 300,000 square feet, but would never locate a single body or a single shred of any of the planes. Uh, it's like they had somehow gotten completely lost and then just vanished off the face of the earth. And as one could imagine, this would fuel all sorts of theories about what exactly happened, especially because of the area that it happened in, which was, you know, the Bermuda Triangle, which already had a bit of a reputation. Yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, anytime that an airplane, like say these airplanes took off from Texas and they were flying around the Gulf of Mexico, got lost and crashed you wouldn't know anything about it you wouldn't have heard anything about it but because of the area that these planes got lost in it just adds to the lore of the Bermuda triangle and kind of makes it into something that we're talking about right now so right um i looked at the missing things associated with the bermuda triangle uh it's like 30 items like 30 different big cases so uh there's quite a bit of weird things that have happened here oh yeah and all located within the same uh basic area too it's it's kind of strange i don't know did you see like when you were looking at that did you see like when kind of like the legend started no no i was uh just focusing mainly on on this case because there's quite quite a bit to it okay gotcha so, yeah, uh, Bermuda Triangle as a whole, uh, it sounded like, from just a light reading, it's kind of a phenomena that rooted up in the 20th century and just kind of has been there since. But, like, now in modern days, it's calmed down a whole bunch. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have a lot better technology, too, to kind of try to figure out. We also have GPS locators and that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, so basically, I would say it's starting probably 
early 1900s and kind of stopped in modern times, more or less. Okay, so it's not like there were a bunch of like Spanish fleet ships or not that know, pirate I, not ships that, I, that were going down. Not that I saw, but again, if it was that old, uh, how would they even know if they crashed, really? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I And they would probably just assume that pirates sank it. Right. You know. Right. Um, yeah, most of them that they talk about are things that are like, okay, you have to go to A to B. And then they just go missing here or whatever. So, but uh, are you are you ready to start diving into some possible explanations? Yeah, let's hit it. All right. So we're gonna start off a little silly here, but uh, I kind of like a few of these. Uh, the Crystal Pyramid. Now, apparently, one of the more modern explanations for why such weird events transpire within the Bermuda Triangle. And what ultimately might have caused Flight 19 to become disoriented is something that has been came to be known as the Crystal Pyramid. They claim that a crystal pyramid has been found 6,500 feet below the surface and is thought to cause all sorts of anomalous things that might affect either planes or boats equipment. Uh, it's a fun idea, but unfortunately... There isn't a single shred of evidence that this crystal pyramid actually exists, but I didn't look that deep into it. It kind of sounds like a fun episode for the future. Have you ever heard of anything like this? Well, the only crystal pyramid that I know about is the Louvre in Paris. And I do suppose that the stench coming from the armpits of some of the Parisians may have caused either planes to go down or boat equipment to (laughs) malfunction. So besides that, though, no, I have no idea about the Crystal Pyramid. Uh, That that sounds like a ripe old conspiracy to look into. Uh, Someone even had a doctored Photoshop of like a Crystal Pyramid underneath the water. Uh, it, It was kind of funny. Oh, yeah. I love uh, whenever you see any YouTube videos that have conspiracy, they always use doctored photos of whatever crazy thing they're supposed to be like implemented on regular pictures. Right. Just like uh, like I can imagine it right now that like a crystal pyramid just kind of like you can see it under the water as if it's like 100 <laughs> feet down. Something like that is basically what it is. Um, all right. Yeah. Now, uh, the next one. Now, this is an interesting one because I think. Uh, it's been talked about a lot regarding um, the Bermuda Triangle, uh, and that is wormholes. Now, different things like wormholes or missing time have been reported within the Bermuda Triangle. Could it be possible that all five members or all five planes of Flight 19 had gotten caught into some sort of a wormhole after which they, after they completed the practice, basically they got sucked into a wormhole Maybe they were teleported to a different place that they weren't familiar with, thus causing them to become disoriented and eventually run out of fuel and crash. Definitely, yeah. I've heard of this conspiracy theory, obviously, that there is some kind of like a wormhole or a portal, even an entrance to the hollow earth. Oh. So there's the obviously North and South Pole. That's where, you know, two of the entrances to the hollow earth are, but I have heard that Bermuda triangle and dragon trial dragon triangle might also be entrances to the, the, the hollow earth. Now I vividly remember seeing 
uh, one of the conspiracy shows or mystery shows where it was a pilot who actually survived um, flying over the Bermuda Triangle, but he claimed like they got sucked into like a some sort of a wormhole or something. And like there's I can't remember how much time like an hour was missing from when he went in to when he came out. Maybe I'll have to cover that some other time. But uh, yeah, that that's kind of an interesting case. Well, with actually, that's kind of interesting, like a temporal anomaly might actually kind of explain why the members of Flight 19 might have been, or especially like the lieutenant, might have had problems figuring out like how long they had been out there. Maybe making him think that he had flown like hundreds of miles, even though he had only been out there for like 45 minutes. So Very true. Uh, yeah, that's that's something that is definitely associated or been talked about when it comes to Bermuda Triangle. So I suppose it's a possibility um, now the next one, we'll start to get kind of more serious, I guess. Uh, hmm. uh, the next one is magnetic forces. Now the Bermuda Triangle is home to a very large amount of magnetite, uh, which is the most magnetic substance found on earth. Could it be possible that this magnetite, uh, had somehow messed with the pilot's compasses thus causing them to get very lost. But even though it's kind of a interesting, fun theory, apparently these planes were equipped with two compasses, a magnetic compass and a magnet magnetic gyro or gyro. Uh, and according to experts, the chances of them both failing at the exact same exact same time are quite low. But if we remember back, Taylor did say neither of his compasses were working. Yes. Yeah, I just, I gotta say first off, I love the name Magnetite. It kind of reminds me of like, almost like reading a comic book, like a Marvel comic book and them saying Magnetite, the most magnetic metal on earth or something like that. <laughs> it sounds like know. a Pokemon. It does a little bit sound <laughs> like a Pokemon, at least a Pokemon's move. It's like know. the fourth evolution of, uh, I don't remember what that stupid magnet was, magma tight or magnet or whatever the fuck that thing was. Yeah, it had three evolutions. I don't remember what any of their names, but I do remember how fucking worthless it was. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you feel about this one, Phil? Um, it's ooh, it's good. Uh, it's definitely more scientific, not so much science fiction. It's more like science possible, like you know, claiming that maybe there are bundles of this extremely magnetic material that will fuck up someone's compasses. It doesn't really explain the the re, like the missing time or how he had a the lieutenant had a thought that he had flown hundreds of miles. Doesn't quite explain that. But yeah, right. I mean, you would have to think though, an experienced pilot like him probably doesn't always need his compasses. He can probably figure out kind of you know, kind of like what direction he's going without relying on his compasses. Yeah. So you would hope, a, basically. Uh, a lot of this said, um, like, experienced pilots, especially him, 2,500 hours, flying hours is quite a bit. Uh, most of them know if your compasses aren't working, you, like, aim the plane. What they say, you aim the plane at the horizon where the sun is, and then you can tell yourself which um, direction you're heading. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's, 
I mean, we did in the in the description of like kind of that day, you were saying that they hit that storm front. So right, it was, right. you know, rainy, cloudy. Maybe there was, you know, maybe they weren't able to see it. But you would think that they would go up above the clouds. They would try right. to do that. Right. Though I don't know if those planes Could were really capable of getting that high up. Yeah. 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 I I don't know. It's uh it didn't sound like it was you know, like the type of storm um that we talked about that freighter on uh Lake Superior was experiencing, but it was just more of a of an annoyance storm, I guess. Okay. So just kinda like some light rain, not yeah. really kinda shitty out. Yeah, just so. windy, light rain, cloud cover, not a fucking hurricane or something. Yeah, I can see that. Okay, so now the next possible explanation, now I kind of like this one, um, is called spatial disorientation. Now, we will start to talk about, uh, like I said, kind of what, what I would consider one of the more plausible explanations for what happened to Flight 19. Now, there is something that is known as spatial disorientation, which is defined as an aviator's inability to determine atti- attitude altitude, or speed, this becomes increasingly more likely if it is either nighttime or during uh, poor weather conditions, which kind of is both uh, both checked off in the story. Um, basically, could it be possible that Lieutenant Taylor had been struck in with spatial disorientation and took Flight 19 wildly off course, thus causing them to eventually get lost, run out of gas, and be forced to crash into the ocean. Yeah, I mean, it's, from what I hear, it's it's kind of like your inability to find the horizon is the problem, um, especially when you're out on the open ocean. It's... Did you hear, I mean, okay, quick thing here. Did you hear this is caused from uh, some something with flying and something that happens like inner, in your inner ear? That causes you to become disoriented. Oh yeah, I can see that. Your like, there's fluid in your inner ear that, um, like, if it basically if it gets fucked up, you can get like vertigo. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I could see that. Yeah. But I think uh, I think they actually blame um, JFK Jr. crashing his plane into the mountains. I think they actually blame that on him being unable to find like the horizon. And, um, like dipping his plane when he should have like lifted it up. So, gotcha. Okay. Well, don't tell the uh, the Q9 well, people. They think he's gonna show up. Uh, in uh, is it Austin? Yeah, they think they. Well, they keep. It's just like the fucking end of the world. They keep pushing it back and changing <laughs> the the date and the location. But he always is supposed to show up at a Trump rally, from what I hear. But yeah, apparently they think he's still alive. But. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I'm not exactly, it might have been someone else, but I was pretty sure, it's kind of on the spot, I'm pretty sure it's JFK Jr. who they think this happened to. So, okay, let's just theorize Lieutenant Taylor, this happened to him, right? Um yeah. Shouldn't any of the four other planes have, like, noticed something? Yes, but you do have to remember they were trainees, so... Very true. I mean, it did sound like there was one uh, of the the, the planes worth of people who kind of got sick of it and went off on their own. But 
kind of you i mean you have to if you're if you're the trainees you have to trust this guy with your life because you're trusting him to take you out and bring you back every single time until you are competent enough to do it by yourself so you're going to follow this guy into whatever you know very true i i suppose that is a good point um well let me go through the the last explanation then we'll kind of talk about what you feel strongly about Now, it was reported by a witness that prior to Flight 19 taking off, Lieutenant Taylor was overheard talking with somebody attempting to back out of leading this particular flight, but ultimately either he agreed to do it or they convinced him to do it. But some speculate, what if Lieutenant Taylor knew that he wasn't mentally fit to take on this flight, but kind of felt... you know was kind of persuaded to do it like hey you're okay don't even worry about it um the the other kind of thing that they lean on um is that if he wasn't mentally able could it be possible that taylor instead of heading east actually did go directly south which put him into the florida keys um but i again for them to do that from Fort Lauderdale, they would have had to, I would assume, have noticed they were flying along the Florida coast for quite a while. Any of the four planes, I think, I assume with common sense, would be like, this doesn't seem right. Oh, yeah. And their compasses didn't go out right away. So they would immediately notice, hey, we're going south. Right, right. Right after they take off, go over, you know, leave the coast, go over the ocean. They would notice like, hey, for some reason, we're going south. You know, they would have done their bombing run like just east of the bottom tip of Florida. So that'd be a little different for them. So the the other thing is, is obviously you can see on the uh, Grand Bahama Island, there's a little islands, something that maybe Lieutenant Taylor got confused and thought those little islands were the Florida Keys. Like, I guess that's possible. Oh, yeah, I could see that. It's I mean, if you were just looking for islands. I'm not sure exactly how many flying hours he has out in this part of the ocean, um, out in the Bahamas. Yeah. But, I mean, it's possible if he's disoriented. Uh, that's the thing, too. We were talking about, well, I was I was mentioning how back in this day, it was still kind of in the cowboy era of doing shit. Nowadays, if you're, you know, if the person who's supposed to lead a flight, a training flight, doesn't feel up to it or feels like he can't do it, They'll they'll ground him, you know. Right, They're right. not going to try to pressure him into for a training sortie. So I would say, yeah, I could see that too. Them just kind of like if he wasn't mentally fit, or you know, he was in the Fort the Fort Lauderdale Fort Lauderdale area, so he might have been, you know, might have had a little drinky drinky that morning <laughs> or something. Had a few uh, a few rum and cokes there. A few Coronas out on the beach. <laughs> yeah. So we've all seen the commercials. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, Phil, out of these explanations or maybe explanations of your own, um, any of them seem plausible or rational to you? I like, uh, yeah, I like, I like a, I like a mix of spatial disorientation caused by Lieutenant Taylor, um, not being mentally in the game, uh, not being mentally fit to lead the, lead the flight. Uh, obviously, you know, the conspiracy of, Bermuda, tri- or you know, the theory that the Bermuda Triangle causes planes to go down kind of lends to maybe 
a more scientific thing like magnetic forces are kind of good for you know explaining all of the the boats and planes that went down but i kind of like i like spatial disorientation too i'm gonna say i'm gonna give that one the most percentage do you gonna say probably 80 do you think it's weird that they searched a huge area and have never found a single shred of evidence yeah that's a little weird you would think that they would find some floating debris or you know uh at least, you know, like an oil slick. Like, so we were talking about the the flying gas tank, how when that one went down, it was a fireball that led to an oil slick. You would think that you would find at least, you know, some evidence that a plane had gone down. So some oil on the ocean, but it was a very large area. And if he got so disoriented that he completely went the wrong direction, maybe they weren't even looking in the right area. Because I mean, so, by you, the time everything sank. So if you think about it, let's just map out what he thought he was doing. If we see, if let's just say he's from point uh, two, which is kind of uh, right in the Bahamas there, and then he's like, "Oh, we got to keep going east." That would take him into no man's land in the ocean, where there is no islands at all. Yeah. So. Once he, so say he misses the large islands right up there and goes by what he thinks is the Florida Keys. Once he gets out there, there's nothing. Yeah. It's all of the rest of the Caribbean islands are south of there. So. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess there wouldn't be anywhere at all to, to even crash land or anything. Yeah. You're just, uh, you know, you're in the drink pretty much. You're just. Do you, yeah, do you, it's, do you think the planes had like a raft or anything? Well, I imagine they jumped out before they, you know, they got into the water. Mm. So it sounds like these planes, if they have three crewmen on board, a pilot, you know, maybe a navigator and a bombardier, I imagine they jumped out. So, right. Because he said they were going to ditch the planes. Yeah. Um. So they... Who knows, they like parachutes and, you know, life preservers. Maybe if their kits came with, you know, an inflatable boat, that would be nice. But who knows? I mean, it's still, it's 1945. I'm not exactly sure if planes even came equipped. And also, you got to think, too, these are training flights. So it's not like they're out in the open ocean, you know, worried about being out there for weeks. Yeah. So, yeah. And if you jump out in the ocean there, it's probably quite cold. Uh, I mean, I don't know how cold it actually is, but I imagine you couldn't couldn't be out there for too long. Well, you're better off than if you, you know, went out in the ocean around Canada. You're much yeah. better off being out there in Florida. Right. But yeah, I'm not exactly sure. I know I've never actually swam in like the Caribbean but or the Gulf of Mexico, but I have heard that the water is a lot warmer than like I have. I've like dipped my feet out in the Pacific. Um, off the coast of like Florida and or off the coast of California. Sorry. And that shit is cold as fuck, no matter what time of year it is. So <laughs> it's, that's interesting. Cause I like, uh, we're, we're San Diego. Uh, I, I swam in there and stuff. I mean, it wasn't as warm as the Gulf in Florida, but it wasn't that bad, but yeah, it is. Yeah. It is definitely colder. Yeah. The one time I was out there, um, for that three month stint, we well, basically we were just kind of like 
you know, hanging out at the beach and I went and dipped my feet in and it was absolutely freezing. So I never <laughs> jumped in for my entire time there. All right. Um, I'm going to give you a little update on this story, which okay. actually I think makes it even more confusing if any of this is true. Um, in 1989, two aviation archaeologists started to believe that they had actually solved the mystery of Flight 19. Uh, they had discovered the wreckage of a torpedo bomber plane that was crashed within the Florida Everglades. Upon further investigation, the plane was determined to be, in fact, a TBM-3 Avenger plane. Uh, another piece of evidence that they believe linked this to Lieutenant Taylor's plane was a shoe print that they had found nearby that belonged to a person with a size 11 shoe, which may have belonged to Lieutenant Taylor, being that he was six foot one. That's about the average shoe size for a person of that height. Now, yeah, the Florida Everglades, from what I remember from a map, is essentially almost from West Florida down to Southern Florida. Like it's all of that area leading or that's on the Gulf of Mexico size or side. It's like a big chunk right there. So he would have had to have gotten quite lost to get to crash in there. Well, from what I've heard, that area is still kind of no man's land out there. Isn't that the, uh, the like the marshy lands yeah. of Florida? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like full of gators and shit and wild rednecks. So I can imagine you not surviving. Also, if they did crash over land, then definitely they're not going to find them because they were looking nowhere near that area. They were looking out in the ocean, boats and planes. But here's where I mean it makes it weirder because if he was in fact, because that would make sense if he was in the Florida Keys and then went north, and crashed in the Everglades because you would almost have to go directly north in uh, from the Florida Keys to crash in the Everglades. But again, why he's the only one who crashed there. Where the hell is the other planes? Oh, yeah. I have no idea. Maybe they maybe they didn't trust him and they peeled off, too. So where the hell did they crash at? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy story. I mean, also, you got to think, too. How many, if that was a training school out there for, for their pilots, how many pilots did they take out and just have to ditch the planes? You know, right. maybe, maybe they ditched the plane and they just never found it in the Everglades. So one of those weird things too. We, we have to, we have to say they've never confirmed that that plane is one of the planes in flight 19, but mm. it, the it's the same type of plane. But again, I assume they were running a lot of those planes if they were doing similar flights like that. So could be anybody, honestly. Obviously, they're not going to find bodies there because over that many years, guaranteed all the wild animals in the Everglades ate them up. Um, oh, definitely. If not if not the gators, then the Floridians <laughs> definitely you know, took their bones away as the, trophies. The wild so. meth heads. Uh, out there in the Everglades. methods, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in their fan boats. It's just like the story just does not make sense. I, I don't know. It, they would have had to have gotten hella, hella lost to get in the Keys but not realize that they went directly south and then to go back onto mainland Florida. 
but not be able to get anywhere and crash in the Everglades. I don't know. It's just very strange. Yeah. By the time they, if in that situation, if he claimed that they were going to, you know, wait for the, the, the first guy to run down to 10 gallons and then jump out. I mean, if they did miraculously find land, that would leave them with no gas left. So they were probably just hoping, okay, you know, ditch it over land and then we'll figure it out from there. Right. So that, in my my mind, that's probably, you know, what I would assume would happen. But who knows? I mean, that's kind of why it's a mystery, though. No one knows what the fuck happened. <laughs> no, it's just such a such a strange story that, uh, ra- you know, logical thinking doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. But uh, yeah. 20, I was going to say really quick before we get off, 20 minute, 20 years later, they probably would have assumed that he flew down to Cuba and joined the Ruskies and the Soviets down there. Maybe they did. I guess that could be a possible explanation. Well, no, the Cubans, it was, it was, uh, the American backed government still at that time. Ah, so, wouldn't that, okay. wouldn't that happen quite like that? What if they all just like fake their deaths and decided to live out the rest of their life like in the caribbean in the bahamas not yeah. a bad choice there it's uh yeah that would i mean maybe they were worried about uh the next war who knows we we just ne- didn't want to have to do it again i should have looked up what year sandals resort was started ah could have connected yeah, the dots true. there but uh anyway thank you so much joshua for the uh recommendation that was a that was a good one. That was a good thinker there. So we we greatly appreciate any recommendations you guys give us. Uh, if it's possible, we will look. We will try to turn it into an episode. So uh, anyway, Phil, if anybody has any experience with the Baha- or with the Bermuda Triangle or anything they want to say about it, where can they email us at? They can hit us up on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. Like Cody was saying, uh, we appreciate all of the messages, the hate. That gets sent our way and if you guys got you know ideas for an episode we'll definitely look into it and try to make it into something uh also probably even a better way to get a hold of us though on our instagram subliminal deception podcast on ig uh once again also thanks for everything you know all the all of the you know the little hearts you guys the likes and shit it's all great cody and i also have our own instagram accounts mine is sdpodphil cody you got one yeah, you can follow me at Cody's Bob. Thank you so much uh, to everybody who's been reaching out to me about the show. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, last thing we ask you guys to do is log on to iTunes, leave a show a five-star review. doesn't really matter what you say. Just uh, type something in there. Just make sure it is five stars. If you're a Spotify user, you can also leave us a review. You don't have to type anything. You just got to hit the five stars. So... Thank you so much to everybody who's taking the time to do that. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed a little dive into the world of the Bermuda Triangle. And we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys.